Hello and welcome to another episode of Des and Marco. I'm Marco. And I'm Des. Hello Des, how's it going? Not bad. I'm uh, quite hyped about this episode as well and I am looking forward to following up on our last episode because it was such a blast to listen and produce. And also I cannot wait to play uh, Monkey Island. But anyway, before we start following up on last episode's topics, what beer did you pick for this time? This is, again, a local brewery to me. It is the Fierce Brewery, which I've had several of their beers on the show before. And this one's called Squirrel, but it's written cool. Squirrel. Oh, okay. Like the cool way people write these days without vowels. There's one vowel. (laughs) So, you know, they're not totally cool. And the reason why it's called that is because it's meant to emulate the Scottish pronunciation of the word squirrel. Which is? Squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the spelling. I would like to apologize (laughs) on Des's behalf to all of Scotland for what just happened. (laughs) Anyway, it's called that because it's a hazelnut brown ale. So the nut is the link between the name of the beer and the type of beer. How All about right. you? Okay, so I have a little bit of a tummy ache, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with the vast amount of alcohol I had last night. <laughs> so I, kind of like you last time, I went for a non-alcoholic beer, and in this case, I went for the Heineken 0.0. I don't know if it's a reflection of us sort of growing up as people, I feel this podcast is becoming like a review of non-alcoholic beers. (laughs) (laughs) I think, but you know what? With the weather becoming a little bit better and all of the restrictions that we used to have being lifted, I feel like this could be a thing. (laughs) that (laughs) We might be more and more hungover (laughs) than previously. Also because I, I, I don't know about you, but I am absolutely not a house drinker. For instance, a lot of friends during the last couple of years, they started drinking a lot more at home. Some alone, some with their partners. Myself and my girlfriend, for instance, not really. Like, I I don't feel like having a drink at the end of the day. No, I'm in a similar position. And even during, like, the strictest of lockdowns, I was an impromptu drinker, i.e. I'd come home and I'd be like, oh, I feel like a beer. I'd go and get one. Yeah. And usually I would go to the pub or meet up with someone. But when I couldn't, I would go to the shop and try a different beer. But that's a relatively expensive way of doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, as you said, I have friends and colleagues which would have just go to the supermarket when they do their shop and buy like a case of beer for the week. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, um, cheers. Cheers. Squirrel. So last time we talked about a few things. So mostly we talked about one of our favorite video games or video game franchises, Monkey Island. But there was uh, something else you wanted to add. We had mentioned how in the Uncharted franchise, there are several episodes in the game which pay tribute to Monkey Island. And we mentioned briefly other pirate themed games, one of which was the quite popular game called Sea of Thieves, which is predominantly based on online adventures 
And I didn't know about this. It was, I was so inspired by our episode. I started like YouTubing everything and anything to do with Monkey Island. And one of the things which popped up was there is a mission or an unlockable mission that you find in this very vast online world of Sea of Thieves, which is a complete tribute to Monkey Island. Oh, okay. And you start this mission. The mission is called Deep in the Caribbean. That very memorable quote of the Monkey Island franchise. And uh, you basically find this wrecked pirate ship and you find notes of Guy Brush Freepwood and you see the map plastered on the wall. The music starts playing, the Monkey Island theme tune. It's actually really tasteful and really good. It clearly shows that whoever designed the game or that part of the game was clearly a huge fan because it makes reference to the whole franchise, not just you know, the franchise in general, but specific episodes of the franchise. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was so cute. And I thought it was worth mentioning as a follow-up to last week's episode. And one other thing, as I said, I was Googling and YouTubing anything and everything to do with Monkey Island. And this also ties into what we're going to talk about for the rest of the episode. And if everything goes well, there should be a huge hint at the right at the beginning of the episode. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so if you are a Prime member... You might know that Amazon has this branch called Prime Gaming, which basically allows you to buy games, but it also gives a lot of games away for free and lots of online goodies, etc., etc. For the month of April, you could have got the Monkey Island 2 Special Edition included for free with your Prime membership. The other thing is that for the month of May, the Curse of Monkey Island, so the third game of the franchise, which is still very good, is also included in your Prime memberships to claim. Oh, really? Oh, I got to check that out then. At least it's like that in the UK. I'm I'm guessing it's worldwide, but I'm not certain. Yeah. All right. I'll check it out and let you know. Another topic that we covered, I think a couple of episodes ago, was the incident at the Oscars where, where Will Smith was banned from the Academy or something like that. And we asked ourselves whether he was banned from attending the ceremony or as well banned from being, let's say, eligible to win or to be nominated and win the awards. You did a little bit of research on it with, you know, a couple of weeks or months after the the thing happened. But yeah, now we now officially have an answer. So he is still eligible to win the Academy Award, so to be nominated, but he is not allowed to participate in the ceremony itself. So if he were to win, he cannot accept the award in person or virtually. So someone else will have to do that for him. So he'll need like a representative. And one other thing about that is that I did read that the Academy does have the powers to rescind awards, i.e. take them off someone if they've won it, because people were saying, should he lose it? Yeah. The Academy has that power, but they're not going to use it in this particular instance, which I think, considering the Academy's prior track record with who they've allowed to keep their awards, is really (laughs) in line with their previous decisions. Yeah, pretty much everyone that had to do anything with the Me Too movement. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, most recently, Harvey Weinstein, who... Despite being convicted and everything, the Academy has not taken a single award off him. So Yeah. And finally, last uh, tiny bit of news. So last last time we did this whole this whole speech about the possibility of Elon Musk joining the Twitter board and then the minute we stopped 
recording there was more news about him not joining the the board anymore and uh, it looks like finally <laughs> so apparently like from what i understand he, by joining the board he was limited to whatever his stake was which i think was like nine percent like he was not allowed to go beyond that and from what i read he didn't agree with that so that's why he didn't uh join the board but now he's gone all the way and decided to buy all of twitter and possibly take it private so we don't know yet what his plans are but he's buying it for 44 billion dollars yeah so a few things really surprised me about this whole affair now the first was how quickly the initial situation evolved as in the announcement came out that he was the biggest shareholder of twitter nine point whatever percent and everyone was like, oh, wow. Then it was, oh, he's going to be invited to join the board. Oh, okay. And then it became, no, he doesn't want to join the board anymore. Okay. And then it became, the board is going to approve a poison pill amendment to Twitter's rules rules or whatever, so that nobody can perform a hostile takeover, which is essentially yeah. what this is. Yeah. They went from saying, oh, we've, we've written up a poison pill so no one can take over the company to we've accepted his offer yeah but like all in the space of a couple of days yeah like super fast for what is huge sums of money yeah and i think therein lies the answer to why they accept it now twitter and social media in general has struggled to really become profitable outside of advertising and it's currently valued at whatever and the offer that elon musk has put in per share where he had to put in a 420 joke in there was $54.20. Yeah, per share. Per share. That was a significant margin on the current market value. I think the board agreed, well, we're all going to make a killing out of this. And we're basically avoiding the troubles which social media is going to face in the near future with increased regulations, having to be responsible for the veracity of the tweets and whatever. A lot of governments are cracking down on... uh, on basically what can and cannot be said, fake accounts, fake news, yeah. all that sort of stuff. So it's going to be a very tough time for all these social media companies to really make sure that they're all in line with basically various geographic restrictions. Yeah. Oh, uh, one more interesting thing. Remember I mentioned how the SEC was uh, vetting, uh, sorry, was vetting Elon Musk's tweets? Yeah. That's still going on. Apparently it's called Twitter sitter because it's like babysitter. (laughs) And uh, he's just lost the court case that even if he owns Twitter, he still has to get his tweets checked. Oh, really? Oh, man. Like a lot of his tweets are just like so juvenile. One of the most recent ones was next I'm going to buy Coca-Cola and put the cocaine back in. Apparently that's a myth. Like it never had cocaine. It had coca leaves, but not cocaine. Yeah. Still. (laughs) Um, (laughs) well then you should correct them we should tweet him at desert marco by the way um but anyway moving on still let's say in the realm of economics netflix has have announced their financial results and uh, they're not that good no so this is the main meat of our episode and it's both news and an interesting topic so we've relied a lot on netflix over the last decade essentially for producing and giving us access to a whole heap of movies film series and popular culture content and since the 2011 the first time it launched its video streaming subscription service 
it has lost subscribers. Wow. So the market predicted, so market analysts predicted that in view of the rise of the pandemic, etc., they were predicting 2.5 million new subscribers. But the reality was that Netflix lost 200,000 subscribers. Now, that might sound like a drop in the ocean compared to their 220-odd million paying subscribers, but it's the first time any of these subscription services has lost users. And as a result, the stock market tumbled over 35% and still hasn't recovered at time of recording. So huge loss and billions wiped off the value of Netflix essentially overnight. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth also mentioning that the entire stock market isn't doing that well. I mean, there is still conflict in Ukraine. We're hopefully at the tail end of a global pandemic, which lasted a couple of years. There's inflation. So, you know, like a lot of stocks are, are going down. I think Amazon was the same that they, their latest uh, results aren't that great. But anyway, yeah, so they are apparently hemorrhaging users. I think that's it's pretty easy to understand why as in back in the day there was just netflix and now there's i don't know six seven eight different ones that are all pretty good the age-old saying of you either die a hero or live long <laughs> enough to become the villain yeah the villain being the password sharing here i don't know about you des but like my entire family is just using my password okay like if we need to be honest here same here so this is one of the things. Netflix, not only has it made this announcement where it lost sub, sub, some subscribers, the thing which kind of really marked a change in their tone even was that they've decided now that they're going to crack down publicly on password sharing. Yeah. And they had trialed a project, I think, in Peru and Chile, where if you were sharing your password, you paid an extra $3 on top of your subscription. Okay. So I guess the idea Bastards. was you pay a bit more, but... It's split amongst all your password sharing people. Yeah. Still. Yeah, exactly. But for example, in my case and your case, it's, it's family members. Yeah. Problem number one, 220 million subscribers and apparently an estimated 100 million of those are sharing passwords. Do they <laughs> really think that the people sharing passwords are going to start a new account? Yeah, that's a bit crazy. I mean, I can speak for myself and my family if they forced, let's say, my sister and my parents to get their own account, they wouldn't. Well, to be honest with you, the opposite is also true. I wouldn't continue my Netflix subscription with the current prices and the current content if I didn't have my family also on my subscription. Yeah, no, that's true. I agree. Because, and I think you mentioned the right word there, which is content. Back in the day when let's say all of us subscribed to Netflix, it was awesome because it there was everything on it. You know, you could, you wanted to watch The Office, you could find it. You wanted to watch Friends, it was on it. You wanted to watch all the movies you wanted, they were all there. Everything was there. But then one day, <laughs> other media companies realized that they're, they're sitting on a treasure of content or of like movies and TV series. And then everybody decided to start their own streaming platform, like HBO, like Disney nowadays and or now Paramount Plus and you know everybody is trying to become a streaming platform or to or to create a streaming platform especially media companies because of the wealth of content that they actually have and Netflix isn't a media company or it, it doesn't 
it's not born as a media company, it's born as a tech company, let's say. That's why they're also trying to flood their their platform with with their own productions, some of which are admittedly very, very good. Some are absolute garbage. Completely agree. And there's a lot to expand on with what you've said. First and foremost, the competition. You mentioned HBO, you mentioned Paramount. These are companies which know how to make movies. They know how to make TV series. Of course, they don't get it right every single time, but they yeah. have, what, a 50, 60, 70 year head start on, on intellectual property. They've got the series which have been successful. They're there. It's, they've, you know, the rights are theirs. Popular series like The Office, they stopped filming over 10 years ago, pretty much. It's yeah. almost 20 years old now. Yeah. No, and exactly. yet it's still incredibly popular. Same with Seinfeld. Same with Friends. None of these belong to Netflix. Yeah, I was talking to a friend the other day and he has a little daughter and we were talking exactly about, yeah, you know, like all these ad, all, all these subscriptions add up. And he said, for if he were to drop one, the Netflix would be the first one, because now if you have children, you have to have Disney Plus. Yeah. And just before we recorded this, I was watching Moon Knight, which is on Disney Plus. Okay. Is that a Marvel thing? Yeah, it's based on a, on a Marvel comic. Oh, okay. Then you, you'll tell me about it next time. But my point is, Disney, Marvel, they know how to make TV series. They know how to make movies, which are incredibly popular. Whether you like them or not, look at the numbers. They are incredibly yeah. popular. Yeah. Netflix hasn't had a Marvel Cinematic Universe or anything near as popular. They've had a few very good hits, but... Again, the majority of their streamed content is, is things like Friends in the Office, and they don't own that, and they will lose the rights to that eventually. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, if you couple that with the fact that every once in a while the price goes up, I think when I subscribed, it was like eight euro per month, seven ninety nine, I believe. And now it's, what, almost 14 or something ridiculous like that. So the price kind of like doubled, and there's a lot less stuff to watch, which Kind of feels like a ripoff. So we were hyped about the announcement Netflix had made about all the content that they were planning to release. A new movie every week, a new TV series every day. It was crazy numbers and we were genuinely yeah. hyped. But actually, a lot of that stuff is just terrible. Yeah, they're just trying to release whatever they can just to have something to show. Because I feel like the content on Netflix isn't as good as it used to be. And the, their original productions, well, some of them are really good. And I do want to talk about one in particular later. But yeah, there's a lot of garbage. Going back to what you said about their original content. When Netflix started and it was trying to make a name for itself, I kind of get the feeling that it was much more edgy or creative with its, um, with its choices. TV series like House of Cards. Yes. Orange is the New Black. And these lasted two free seasons, and then disappeared. And personally, I don't think that was an issue because they had all the other stuff as well. So you would have Netflix for the cool new TV series and everything else you've already watched in the past. Yeah, no, it's true. But now that they've lost everything else, they are relying on the cool new TV series. And if they don't get it right you will go to the competition. That's why I think they're casting like a very wide net as in they'll release a hundred things. And if you end up liking six of them, it's a success. This kind of raises the more philosophical question. 
Has streaming become the new cable? Yeah, I think so. But you, okay, you know what? Like the thing that really upsets me is Netflix had single-handedly solved piracy. Yeah. As in, I was more than happy to pay whatever seven, eight, ten, twelve dollars euro to have the one platform where I could watch everything. I was super happy about that. And I completely stopped, let's say, finding movies in less legal sites. But now, to watch the new Spider-Man, I need to get Disney+. And I don't have Disney+. Plus, So someone in my position could be more compelled to visiting the old Pirate Bay. You're right. So we're going back to square one. Like We're not solving anything. I completely agree. This raises again the question, have we reached peak streaming? Yeah. You've mentioned that with so many different services competing for each other, with so much variety across the world in terms of what you have available where you live. Yeah. All of a sudden you're getting the situation where some, you know, Netflix had it all everywhere. And now we've got the case of like, well, HBO Max is not available in this country. And if you want to watch the latest Batman movie, it's not available in that country. And it's just becoming harder. So, as you said, piracy is on the rise. Perfect example of this was Game of Thrones. It was, at one point, the most pirated show in the world. Why? (laughs) Because in the US, it was released like a day before, and it wasn't released to like a whole 24 hours, only on HBO or Sky, if you live in Europe. Yeah. And so... Most of the world didn't have access to it, and they knew fine well that the show had been released already. And so everyone pirated it. Yeah. If it was on Netflix, it wouldn't have been pirated. Yeah, true. If you make it available like that. Yeah. No, I agree. Specific problems for Netflix. Times are tough. You mentioned it. Everything's becoming more expensive. There's the conflict in Ukraine and Russia, and that is of importance also because... Netflix is one of the companies which has pulled out of Russia. Yeah. And they halted all their productions in Russia. Disney hasn't, for example. Okay. I didn't know that. And they lost 700,000 subscribers from Russia when they made this decision. Had they kept those users, there would have been some growth. Less than expected, but there would have been some growth. Yeah. But with the cost of living crisis, the fact that they've now sort of left, maybe temporarily, a region. Subscriptions are the first thing to go when people are struggling. Oh yeah, no doubt. And then the competition, most of it has got advantages which Netflix doesn't have. Now, Apple, for example, they have a whole ecosystem. They have Apple Arcade, they have Apple hardware. You buy an iPhone, you buy a MacBook. It bundles Apple TV Plus with that. And when it comes to squeezing margins, Apple has very deep pockets. They could run at minimal margins for a long time to drive their competitors out of business. Yeah, exactly. The Apple isn't really in the business of trying to get you to watch their platform. Is They're in the business of giving it away if you buy their hardware. Yeah, they want you locked in in, in their ecosystem. And their, let's say, entertainment content is just a new weapon in their arsenal. Yeah, well, same thing with Prime, as in Amazon just wants you to have Prime. Then you get a bunch of things included in it. It's not just the, the what is it, the p- quick delivery or the better prices off of the their, yeah. their shop, but it's also the gaming, like you mentioned before, it's the music, it's and of course the video, which is an 
is a fun extra to have. But Amazon itself has also got a whole web business to fall back on, which is profitable on its own. Disney, we mentioned, has got a huge backlog and probably the widest and strongest intellectual property. And on top of that, they've got the Disney theme parks and there's talk about them giving discounts to Disney Plus subscribers at their theme parks. Okay, I didn't know that. Talks, so it hasn't been firmed up yet. And they've recently bought Fox, so they've also got Fox's massive TV backlog as well. Yeah, same with Amazon. Didn't they just buy, which one was it, MGM? Yep, they bought Bond. They bought Bond, they bought Robocop. Like, now they're sitting on an insane catalog as well, which then is definitely going to get pulled out of Netflix and... That's going to be fun to watch. I don't know if you remember, but HBO Max recently launched in some countries in Europe, including the Netherlands, where you live. And I was super hyped. Like I was trying to maybe get subscription via VPN. And the reason why I was so super hyped is because HBO have got some incredibly good TV series. Yeah. Don't mention any because we're we're going to do an episode about it. (laughs) Exactly. But my point is they have the know-how of creating amazing TV series. So if I had to choose between Netflix, which has made second grade reality TV shows about eating cake versus HBO, I'm going to pick HBO every time. And speaking from experience, because I I have it, since it launched in the Netherlands, I'm watching HBO way more than anything else. We briefly mentioned it before. There's huge variations in pricing depending on where you live which is another factor which I think might irk some people because I've discovered that, for example, if you get Netflix in countries such as Argentina uh, or Turkey or whatever, you're literally Mm -hmm. paying a tenth of what you're paying in Europe or the US. So it begs the question, if they're making money on the cheaper pricing, are they just price gouging people depending on where they live? Oh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I think they are, aren't they? They kind of must be. And, you know, nowadays we live in very technologically savvy young people which are buying VPNs, which are making the best use of the internet. So it's just something to keep in mind. But anyway, Netflix has said in a quite firm tone that they're probably going to crack down on VPNs as well. So maybe those yeah. days are up anyway. Yeah, which is kind of sad if you think about it, because like you said that, you know, you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, like rather than trying to make their platform better. So maybe trying to strike deals with other media companies or trying to like make it more watchable. They're trying to squeeze more money out of us, as in, yes, I gave the password to my sister and she watches it like and they're trying to cash in on that, which is kind of sad. I mean, I get it. Because they're now their like their results are not as good as they used to be. And that's let's say the lowest hanging fruit. Especially Netflix doesn't have any other business to fall on. Like we mentioned, Amazon, Apple, uh, HBO, whatever. But it's just I don't know. Like as a user, as a customer, I kind of feel cheated. Because also it's doubled in price since I since I signed up first. And it's doubled in price quite quickly. Like three years ago, it cost significantly less. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, now, I don't think we should be so negative. I think there is some light, not at the end of a tunnel, but there is a silver lining. So if you are on the Netflix board, it's not all doom and gloom. We mentioned the competition. 
Netflix remains the largest streaming service compared to all of the other ones. It has something mm-hmm. like 220 active million subscribers, which is a phenomenal number if you think about it. Yeah. These are people who are paying Netflix for their content. And maybe this is an alien concept to Americans, but in Europe, we are quite used to paying a tax for public television. Yeah. And Netflix is still cheaper than a lot of those public taxes. No doubt. And this is particularly true, for example, in the UK, where the government has said that they're going to scrap that tax. So now the BBC is terrified of the future because they had guaranteed income. And I think the tax is something like £150, so like, what, $180, $190 a year? That's way okay. more than Netflix. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Times how many citizens in the, in the UK? Um, well, citizens, I think, 60 million. But yeah. they're not all paying because obviously it's family units and the TV license goes per family unit. So Yeah, yeah. still, that's quite an income. So, as I said, it's not all doom and gloom. No. And we mentioned is streaming becoming the new cable. Now, cable services are hemorrhaging way more users and burning way more cash. Now, I think the internet is the future. Like cable, the concept of cable is a bit alien nowadays. Wow, there's the internet is the future. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you come up with these ideas? (laughs) I don't know. You know, I'm just tech savvy. (laughs) Wow. So if you learn one thing from this episode, (laughs) internet, the platform where you are listening to this (laughs) podcast on, is the future. (laughs) Thank you, Des. That was enlightening. Um, (laughs) But no, like you said, it's, it's, um, it's not all bad. And Netflix does have a number of really good series like you mentioned before house of cards which was really good until kevin spacey decided to rape uh young guys then they also have like a ton of other really good ones like i don't know stranger things has a huge following i've never seen it but whatever bridgerton is meant to be really good squid game we we really enjoyed that one i can't wait for the new season but i wanted to talk to you about one series that i watch and i'm and i know i'm late to the party because it came out i think one or two years ago and i don't know if you've seen it but i recently watched the queen's gambit yeah it i really liked it it's really good i had no idea something about chess could be that good yeah and have you seen like the spin-off merchandising like they've rebranded chess as the queen gambit game oh oh yeah, yeah yeah i remember that was so dumb but Anyway, no, like it's this seven episode series, which coincidentally, I because I, I read up on, on everything, seven episodes, it's meant to represent the seven moves a pawn has to do to become a queen. Ah. And I think we can spoil it because it came out ages ago. So like, it's the story about this orphan. Yeah. Orphan little girl who goes to like an orphanage, like a super religious one. And grows up in this really strict environment. But she is fascinated by the game of chess. Because she sees one of the janitors playing it in the basement. And she goes there like for some reason. But anyway. And then it's the story about how she becomes better and better in chess. And follows her passion. Eventually has to face the Russians or the Soviets. Which uh, who are the masters of the game back in like it. It's a fictional story. It takes place like in the 60s, 70s, I believe. So height of the Cold War and so on. And I don't know, like the story is 
it got me hooked. Like I wasn't yeah. hooked in, in a really long time. We've talked before about how I'm a terrible watcher of things or a terrible spectator. And I'm always playing on my phone or doing other things at the same time. I could not keep my eyes off of the TV while I was watching this. The acting is amazing. The lead actress is Anya Taylor-Joy. The story is super compelling and it's different as in it's about chess, which is odd. It touched upon some themes which I thought were really cool. She's American and she feels like a fish out of water in America. It's a society which doesn't seem to want to prize females, especially in the 60s with the, yeah. um, so there's the whole sexual divide there. Like the men can be grand grandmasters, but the woman couldn't, or there'd never been a female yeah. grandmaster before. She's clearly very talented, but she has her flaws as well, which impact her game. Yeah, she's uh, incredibly, let's say, introverted and incredibly, um, like, she's got some social issues, of yeah. course, because of her upbringing and, you know, not having uh, any parents or the, and also she's kind of the stereotypical genius that is very, like, awkward socially. And that probably comes from her mother who had a PhD and was also very, let's say, dies under mysterious circumstances. But you also mentioned the Soviets in it. And yeah. I really thought they played the whole are they evil or are they just different? Because you get the feeling that the Soviets respect her a lot. Yeah, especially you get that at the end. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you get the feeling that even though they're the enemy, she definitely has a lot more in common with the people who are, she's meant to, like, they're meant to be the enemy and she's supposed to be fearful of them or hate them, so to speak. But yeah. she finds that she has a lot more in common with them and she can speak to them with much more ease than she can with her own people. Yeah, yeah. And there's like slight criticism of capitalism, yeah. in, uh, especially towards the end, which was uh, pretty interesting. So like super, super, super recommended to anyone, even if you're not into chess, such as myself. Does this make me want to play chess? Absolutely not. But <laughs> I, I do find it very fascinating, like the fact that these people, professional chess players, are able to predict tens of moves ahead. I find that incredible. Also, I was really happy back in the day. I used to work for IBM and IBM did, uh, I think in 97, created the computer that beat the best chess player in the in the world at the time it was called deep blue i remember that and it was huge and it was like one of the like the first time a machine beats a human anyway like taking the queen's gambit as an example something that i find incredibly interesting is the fact that netflix seems to be able to create a lot of value just not necessarily for themselves for instance the Queen's Gambit, we said it's a fictional story. It's based off of a book of the same title written by Walter Tevis back in 1983. This book, no one gave a crap about up until the Netflix series came out. And then this book, all of a sudden, like in 2020 or 2021, I can't remember when the series was first released. After 37 years of its release, this book, this novel became a New York Times bestseller. The book started selling a lot. Chess sets saw a hike in sales there is even this and i'll link the article there's like this um tiny like family-owned thousands of years old or not really thousands but you know what i mean <laughs> um the a, a company in 
Spain that makes the chess sets for that made the chess sets for the for the TV series. And they make like 20,000 per year. Obviously, not everybody's buying chess sets. They saw their sales double as a result <laughs> of this of this uh, series. And that's not just the only ones. Obviously, everyone who makes chess sets probably saw uh, an increase in sales. And like you said, now they they rebranded chess as the Queen's Gambit's game, you know, and all because of a Netflix series or another one that I, I find incredibly fascinating. You know, I'm a huge Formula One fan. I've been watching it ever since I was a kid. So let's say this doesn't have that much of, of an influence on me. But the the Netflix series, Drive to Survive, literally everyone I talk to is a Formula One fan these days. Yeah. And you ask them, like, oh, okay, like, do you watch the races? Do you, what, what do you do? Now everybody watches the races. Everyone became hooked because of the Netflix series, which I think is a little bit exaggerated in some things. I mean, they try really hard to create rivalries, which aren't necessarily there. But Formula One is the same boring sport as, <laughs> as it used to be almost forever you know it's just 20 drivers driving around in circles if you want to narrow it down to that i find that really <laughs> exciting but that's that's a whole different story but like the sport itself isn't any different than it used to be but because of a netflix series now everyone's watching formula one which is really good for them but it's really bad for netflix because it's like yes everyone watched the series for example the latest australian grand prix which they do in melbourne it was one of the first sporting events since the pandemic started in Australia that was allowed to have spectators. It set a record for attendance in Melbourne. So over like the four days, this was by far the, the weekend with the most attendance. It had like over 400,000 people watching Formula One. Maybe wow. because Australians were like bored of <laughs> or like they were really sick of staying home and locked up. But it's also a result of one series that just kind of talks about the drivers. Just a side note for our listeners. I used to live in Melbourne and Marco came to visit me. We drove around the track, which is kind of open to the public. It's not a dedicated track. It's also It uses public roads and a park. Yep. We drove it in a little Ford Fiesta and you realize how fast the Grand Prix cars are when you're doing it in a Fiesta. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, yeah. But it was it still took, fun to do. And we weren't the only ones. Like people would come up behind us and do exactly the same thing. Yeah, it was so much fun. I really loved it. Also, it's really funny to see because I, I kind of know the the track or the layout of the track. And it just goes right through a parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I, I found really funny. Yeah, like, I don't know. There's like so many examples of phenomenons that Netflix creates. And that brings people to spend a lot of money but not necessarily on netflix so i don't know just food for thought just one final thought before we wrap up this episode you mentioned the queen's gambit we've mentioned house of cards we've mentioned orange is the new black we've mentioned stranger things none of these tv series have more than three four seasons the average netflix series even if it's amazing two seasons really one of the reasons for this is because apparently you know normal television you would yeah. create a TV show and you would get revenue every time you show that episode from advertising yeah. every single time. Based on the ratings and the popularity of the show, the studios would renegotiate contracts, da 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 da, mm. da. But Netflix doesn't get any revenue from advertising. 
at the moment. Yeah, because they don't have any advertising yet. <laughs> and because the artists themselves, like the actors, the screenwriters, etc., etc., they don't get any royalties because it's not broadcast. Yeah. Netflix's strategy is that it pays more for the TV shows, but that's it. That's all you get. Yeah, okay. So apparently they do a standard two-year contract, so to speak, for two seasons. And then they have to renegotiate. And basically they refuse to pay more. Mm, Okay. But that's, okay, we could argue that that's not necessarily a bad thing. How many series can you think of, you know, like the ones that run for longer? How many series can you think of that are still good after, I don't know, 10 seasons? No, I agree. On average, that might be a good thing. I agree. The last season of Friends, I thought it was boring. The last season of How I Met Your Mother was horrible. The last, I don't know, eight seasons of The Simpsons, I don't even watch. You know, like there's very few series that manage to stay fresh after that long. If a series is intended to be a couple of seasons, or if it's written to be a couple of seasons, that's not bad. I agree with you, but that's not what people want. No, of course not. Yeah. You know, and that's where... If you, know, if you own a TV series which went for 15 years, people want that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I agree. But the quality is, uh, is not as good. I mean, trade-offs. Okay, so just a quick summary. We were inspired for this episode by the shock news that Netflix has lost subscribers for the first time since it started its streaming service back in 2011, which got us thinking... Is the golden age of streaming dead or have we reached peak streaming? There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of challenges in the market at the moment, including the cost of living crisis and many other factors, including the conflict in Ukraine. These have all basically brewed together to create the perfect storm. Or is it a trend of things to come? We also discussed briefly some of the top hits and the Queen's Gambit. And just before we wrap up this episode, Marco, what did you think of your beer? There's, I couldn't care less about my beer. It's a non-alcoholic one. And the only reason I'm drinking it is because I had too many last night. Dude, it just tastes like a normal beer, which, which is great. I mean, for a non-alcoholic one, but I don't care. Like three out of five or no, actually, let's say two out of five, because it's just there's nothing special about it. Let's say let's put it that way. Not that the regular Heineken is any is is any better, but this one's just fine. What about your what what, what was it? Hazelnut, uh, what, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> so this is really good. Really, I I would never have guessed that. Like genuinely, you need to like hazelnuts. Okay. So even just sniffing the beer, you get those hazelnut tones. And that hazelnut flavor. Mmm, Nutella beer. That's exactly it. It's Nutella beer. It tastes just like hazelnut ice cream or Nutella with beer. And it might sound like a disgusting combination, but I think it really works. Okay, wow. So I'm going to give it a five out of a six pack. Wow, all right. By the way, you you said that they're local to you. Yeah. The Fierce, Yeah, they're called. Um. Okay, I got to come visit you, and we got to go visit them. I don't know if they do brewery tours, but there's definitely the Fierce Bar. Sold. (laughs) I'll book book my flights. (laughs) All right, Des. So on top of what you summarized, please do try the 
Squirrel beer from the Fierce Brewery, Brewing Company, whatever it's called. And uh, that's I'll talk to you next time. See you next time, guys. Internet is the future.